morning, everybody. So glad you guys are here with us. Uh, my name is Clayton, and I'm the senior pastor here at Central. And I just want to say, before we get started, I just want to thank Ryland, who's backstage somewhere. And no, I'm not sure where he is right now, but there he is. I want to thank them for, for preaching um, in my absence the last couple weeks. Uh, while we were off, uh, my family was on vacation. We had a great time. And with thanks, thank, being so thankful of technology, where we could actually uh, be a part of church, um, even though we were... Um, literally in a foreign country, uh, sitting by the pool in a hammock watching the worship service. It was awesome. <laughs> I highly recommend that. It's a good way to, to watch a worship service. But I want to thank them for, for doing that. You know, it's good to hear Ryland, you know, speak more than 30 seconds at a time. You know, he does up here uh, in between songs. It was great to hear, hear him um, share his wisdom and what God has been uh, speaking into his life. And, you know, Noah's our resident spider monkey up on stage, and uh, man, it was, it's awesome to hear um, what, what God is doing in his life and speaking through him. Uh, but over the last several weeks, we've been talking through the, the disciples, and we have called this sermon series The Dirty Dozen. And that QR code that's right there, if you want to use the camera um, app on your phone, you can get uh, today's sermon notes um, right now. Uh, but we've been going through this, this series, and we call them The Dirty Dozen because these guys were just like us. They're normal guys. They did not have it all together. And I am so glad that that is reality and I believe God had a reason that he chose these ordinary men that were uneducated, they were just blue-collar workers. Um, and I think it was because God wanted to show us that he can use anybody. And that's a great encouragement for me, and I hope it's a great encouragement for you, that God can use anybody to do incredible things. Because he took these 12 guys, and he literally changed the world. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to remember 12 of anything. And when I think about these 12 guys, it's hard to, for me to remember their names. Honestly, I just can't remember all of these guys. And I think that's the reason God only gave me two kids. You know, I've got Corbin and Hannah, and I can remember that. It's pretty easy. Got a boy and a girl. But if I had any more, I feel like I would mess it up big time. Um, well, about 10 years ago, there was this show that came out on TV, and it was, it was called 17 Kids and Counting. You remember that? And like the next year, it turned into 18 kids and counting. And then the next year, it turned into 19 kids and counting. And it was a show about the, the Duggar family. And it was about the, this, this couple named Jim, Bob, and Michelle. And they loved each other a whole lot, okay? Um, and they had 19 kids. And it was kind of just about their life and all that kind of stuff. And, and let, me, let me list off their family. Here are their kids. Joshua. Jana, John David, Jill, Jessa, Ginger, Joseph, Josiah, Joanna, Jedediah, Jeremiah, Jason, James, Justin, Jackson, Joanna, Jennifer, Jordan, Grace, and Josie. I don't know why they decided to torture themselves with all those J names. But then I was reading on the internet last week, and so it's got to be true if it's on the internet, right? That they, uh, they, they picked up um, a nephew and have uh, taken custody of this nephew, and his name is... Tyler. Okay, I don't know. His name's Tyler, you know? So, I mean, he just didn't get the J name. So I always remember this guy. That's, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of names um, to remember. But sometimes I look at the disciples, and I have a hard time remembering who they are. And I'm going, well, you know, who was that guy's name again? Or if I'm listing them off, I'm going, okay, we got, we got Matthew, um, we've got Peter, and we've got, we got Andrew and Judas and 
and Larry and Carl. Like you just start naming up, you just start making up names, you know, because no one else knows because they're just like guys, you don't, you, you just have their name in the, in the, in the Bible. And it's hard to remember these guys' names because some of them had nicknames. So they had they like a couple different names. You know, why, what, what's, who are these guys? Some of them had the exact same names. You're trying to differentiate between these guys. It's just difficult to remember the disciples. Let me give you a little help to be able to remember them a little bit better. One of the one of the best ways to remember the disciples is that they are listed in the, in the Bible always in, in three groups um, of four people. And it was based off of influence and responsibility. And so we are, we have, uh, we're going through all 12 of the disciples during the summer, and we have um, started out with this first group, the most influential group of four men. And the first one is Peter, the rock of the church, the oldest disciple and the leader. And then we have his brother, Andrew, who actually brought, brought Peter to Jesus and, and shared Christ with, with Peter. He was like the first evangelist, so to speak. And then last week, Noah talked about, about James, who was the fisherman with great zeal. And today, I want to talk with you about the last disciple in this first group, this man who had great influence on the, on the church. And this, this guy, he was one of Jesus' um, inner circle disciples. He came from an influential family, and Jesus even gave him the nickname Son of Thunder. He was the younger brother of James that we talked about last week, and he was this young guy that had this incredible passion and zeal for God. He walked with Jesus for three years, and he was eyewitness to some of the most incredible time in human history. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus looked down at this, this man and said, I want you to take care of my mother Mary. He became a pillar of the early Jerusalem church. And eventually, later on in life, he was exiled to a prison on a lonely island. He wrote five books of the New Testament, became the pastor of an influential church in Ephesus, and he trained and mentored these two important uh, men of the early church named Polycarp and Ignatius. And at one point, at, at, an, as an, at an old age, he was the last surviving disciple of Jesus. And he was the only one that we believe that died of natural causes in the 90s. But more than any of this, his best friend was Jesus. And he might have been closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. In fact, he even described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this man was John. John. Not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. And we first meet John in this, this beginning interaction where Jesus begins to call some of his disciples. It's recorded three different ways, three different times in the Gospels. But I want to look at Matthew chapter 4. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. The Bible says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And it says this, immediately they left the boat. And this is interesting. Not just the boat, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So you have big James, the big brother, and you've got little John, the younger brother, and they are with their dad. And we believe that these these men were, were pretty young 
when Jesus called them. In fact, in, in those days when a rabbi called disciples, because Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. There's a lot of religious leaders, and they would go and call disciples, that they always called men that were younger than them. And Jesus was about 30 years of, years of age when he called his, his disciples. So we know that all the disciples were probably in their 20s or maybe even younger than that, which is really interesting to think about. Because when we, in my mind, when I think of disciples, I always think these guys were pretty old, and they got these ginormous beards, and they're wearing these, these uh, capes and these cloaks, and they're just walking around, and they're just, you know, you know, waxing eloquence and their, their, their all this wisdom. And these guys, no, these guys were just ordinary young men. And we see that James and John were working full-time with their dad. They weren't married, but they were working the family business. And what that really means to me is they were just blue-collar guys. In fact, if you go even a step further, it means that rabbis had not chosen them. So when they were in school, when they were younger, maybe middle school, going to high school, what would happen is usually these, these rabbis would come to these schools and they would say, okay, well, who is the cream of the crop and the best of the best? Who has that, that 4.0 GPA and who's the, the captain of the, the basketball team and on the debate team and um, who's in the band and the choir? Who, who are these guys that are well-rounded? I want to call these men, these young men, to be my disciples. And these guys were overlooked. And so they went off and they began to work with their dad. So James' is older brother, John, his younger brother, and we can conclude that John was probably the, the, the youngest disciple. And get this, he was probably between 16 and 20 years old when Jesus called him to be a disciple. For you teenagers, it's pretty scary. Can you imagine Jesus calling you when you're in high school to forsake everything else, to leave your mom and your dad, and to come and follow him? And you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what, what you were going to get yourself into. You didn't even know this guy. And Jesus says, come and follow me, and we're going to change the world. And your life is never going to be the same. If I was a teenager, man, and that happened, honestly, I would be really scared. Man, I would be terrified that this was going to happen to me, that something bad was going to happen, that my life was going to be ruined or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are probably going on in John's life, in his mind, when Jesus first calls him. But he trusts Jesus, and he goes. The Bible says he immediately left the boat, and he left his father. He left all that security, and he began to follow Jesus. And there is this great interaction where we get to kind of see the heart of John a little bit. And it's found in Luke chapter 9. So if your Bible's been turned there, that's going to be kind of the main passage for today. But in Luke chapter 9, there is this passage where we get to kind of see the heart of John. And here's what happens. The disciples are arguing. And I want you to think about this. Twelve dudes living out in the open together. What is going to happen? There's going to be some fist fights. There's going to be all sorts of stuff going on. They're going to be arguing. Well, the Bible says that, that they were getting into it, and they were getting into it, and they were, they were discussing, and not just discussing, they're arguing about who was the best, you know? Locker room talk, right? I mean, they were like, who's, I'm better than you, you know, um, um, you're the youngest guy, or man, you're, you're ugly, and I'm, I'm more educated. And they were, they were bickering back and forth of who was the best. And here's what it says. In verse 46 of Luke chapter 9, it says, An argument arose among them as which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, he, he took a child and he put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is also the one who is great. So they begin to, they begin, these guys begin to argue, and Jesus kind of puts them in their place. And you can imagine John, the youngest disciple, 
probably the, the smallest disciple. This guy doesn't even have a beard yet. I mean, he was just, he's really young, okay? Um, he just, he's still green. Like, he just, he just doesn't know a lot of stuff. And he's in the back behind all the other disciples. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. Here, here's who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. It's someone that's like this, this child. Someone that, that is the least is actually the greatest. And I think that, that John interpreted what Jesus said. I, I believe he interpreted it um, incorrectly. And he was in the back going, you know what? Oh, Jesus is talking about me, right? That I'm the, I'm the least, and so I'm actually makes me the best. You know, even, I don't care if I don't know anything. I, I am the greatest among all the disciples. And we know this because look what he, look what he does immediately after this little um, passage in verse 49. Here's what, here's what happens. Immediately, the Bible says, John answered and said, Master, we saw, you know what? We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because, you know what? He does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Here's what John was saying. He was saying, look, Jesus, we, we, stopped, we, we, we took care of something for you. There was this guy, and he was, he was preaching in your name, and he was doing ministry in your name. You know what? He wasn't as cool as us. He wasn't like one of the 12 disciples. And so you know what? We told him to stop. We kind of put him in his place. And Jesus said, no, you're wrong. He rebuked him and corrected him. You know what? John still being immature and young, he didn't even get it. Get that because here's what happened immediately after that. The Bible says, "When the days drew near, in verse 51, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was he was looking for Jerusalem. Like it was it was on his mind. It was on his heart. It's like if you're really really hungry, and some of you guys maybe are hungry, and your 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 mind is already set towards." Cracker Barrel or something, I don't know, right? Okay, so your, your mind is already set. doesn't matter what I'm saying, you're just thinking about going to get some of that cornbread, right? And trying, trying to, you're worried about what you're going to eat. Your, your mind is already set towards that. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. It was set towards Jerusalem, and it says this in verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans, because they had to go through that, that way to make preparations for him. So they, go get, they had to go get, you know, like a hotel room or a place to eat and that sort of thing. It says this in verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem, like we talked about. In verse 54, it says, and when his disciples, James and John, so the brothers, the sons of thunder, right? They saw it. When they saw this happen, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned to rebuke them and they went on to another village. You see, John, he wanted to punish these people who had kind of pushed Jesus aside. Said, "Let's can we can we just like call down fire and destroy this village? Because that's what like that's what we probably should do. Because you know what? I remember what you just said earlier about me being being, being the, the youngest, which actually means makes me the best. And even though I'm immature, like I have the most wisdom. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you have no idea." What you're talking about. But here in this passage, we see kind of an example of John and what his, what his attitude was like and what his heart was like. And he was saying, you know what, even though I may be young, I'm the best. Even though I don't have a whole lot of experience, my opinions are correct. And so I think there's a message. There's a couple messages here today, but I think there's a message first and foremost for the young people in this room. Those of you who are by age young in this room, and maybe you are spiritually young, no matter what age you are, and there's a message that John's attitude has for us, and it's this. If you want to make a difference in the world, your minor league talent needs major league maturity. That's what John had. He had talent. He had some great talent. 
but he had, he had never matched it up with maturity. And so his impact was very minimal. Last week we were in uh, Costa Rica. That's when we went on vacation and it was incredible. And so we, we actually, one day we went to um, this, this waterfall and we had to walk about a 45 mile hike, uh, 45 mile, whoa, 45 minutes. Man, that was a long hike. Okay. Um, 45 minute hike through the Costa Rican rainforest. And man, it was literally the rainforest. And I'm, I'm walking through there and and there's all these small little trees uh, popping up everywhere and bushes. And they were just overshadowed by right next to them, these giant trunks that would go up hundreds of feet in the air. These, these trees were so big, you could hide, hide a car behind them. And I was looking up and they were just completely covering the canopy. And when we were walking through the rainforest, it was, it was pretty dark and dim because of this giant canopy that was, that was over, over us and, and overshadowing us. And I was thinking about these trees and wondering, how did these trees get to the place of they're at. How did they, how did they grow to where they were? And I was thinking, you know what? These, these trees had gone through a lot. That throughout their life, they, they had some strong winds that had kind of blown them sideways and pushed them to the breaking point. They had storms that had come up in their life. They had some cold nights that really challenged them and their roots had grown deeper and deeper. And through that adversity, they, they had grown. But not just that adversity, they had great nourishment. We were literally in the rainforest, and there is there's just water everywhere. It was just wet all the time. And, and you think about, man, all of the nourishment, all the water that these trees had soaked up, and all of the sun that they had, the rays that they had, had soaked up. And throughout all those years, and some of the, the guide said some of these trees are over 100 years old. Throughout all that time, they had had all this nourishment. They continued and continued to grow. And I was thinking about John. And comparing to these other disciples, and he was literally in the shadow of some of these other guys. And his shadow was actually pretty small. Physically, he might have been, been smaller than all the rest of them. And with his influence and his maturity, he had a pretty small shadow that he cast. He was immature. He didn't have it all together. But you know what he thought he did? You know what that reminds me of? Teenagers today, okay? And just honestly, that's, as a former youth pastor, that reminds me of sometimes what, what teenagers go through, that, you know what, they, they, they know it all. They've, they've got it all figured out in life. And that's what John was like. He was kind of out of balance. He had great zeal. He had great passion. He was a son of thunder. I mean, he, he had just had all of this energy to serve the Lord, but he was out of balance because he didn't have maturity matching up with it. And being a fisherman, I believe he, he knew exactly what out of balance felt like. Being in a boat, the boat, boat is leaning one, you know, one way too much, that that boat's going to become unstable and maybe capsize. And that's kind of what John's life was like when he was following Jesus during those three years. He was just a little bit unstable. But you know what happened? He walked with Jesus for three years, continually. Got to see all of his miracles. Got to hear some amazing teaching from the Lord. And over time, he began to grow. Continually, he was walking with Jesus. That's a great message for us today, that he matured, not quickly, not like putting popcorn in a microwave, but he matured slowly over time. Listen to me, young people. Maturity doesn't just happen. Doing great things in your life, having real impact and real influence, it, it costs something. There's a price 
that must be paid. It takes time and effort to get to a point where you're making a big impact, where you have that kind of maturity. And if you want to make a difference in this world, and I believe the younger generation, that's what you want to do. That's, that's like a desire of our young people. They want to make a difference in the world. And if you really want to make a difference in the kingdom, then here's what you can do. Walk consistently with Jesus. Because, get this, walking at a steady pace over time, think about this, walking at a steady pace over time in the same direction, it'll get you far in this life. But a lot of times with, with young people, I'm not just talking about, not just trying to pick on the teenagers, but they're a good example of that. Not just young, not just young people, but like spiritually young people, is that their walk isn't consistent in the same direction over a long period of time. Like my 45-mile hike. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Like my 45-minute hike. Walking the same direction consistently over time. And here's what happens for teenagers. Teenagers, they, they, they follow Jesus for a time, and then they, they decide, you know what, I'm going to try something else. And they begin to walk this way over time. Or then they're walking with Jesus until they graduate, and they decide, you know what, I'm going to try to do my own thing. And they walk this way. And they're just going boom, 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 boom all over the place instead of walking with Jesus consistently over time. Because when you do that, that's when real maturity happens. And that's what happened with John. John made the choice, you know what, even though I'm immature, even though I have a lot to learn, even though I have all this great influence and the, but, or great, great zeal um, and I want to do great things for God, I need some maturity in my life. And he walked with Jesus slowly over time. Here's what happened. Even after Jesus went up in heaven, John still walked with him year after year, decade after decade. And something happened at the end of his life where finally he had some incredible influence. Because his story doesn't end when Jesus left. It continued. And I believe there's a great message for all the old people in this room as well. I'm not just picking on the young ones. There's a great message for all you old people. Old people, maybe you got some gray hair or no hair at all, okay? Or maybe you have some spiritual maturity, you're saved at a young age, you may walk with Jesus consistently, and you may, you know, be physically young, but you say, you know, you're spiritually mature. There is a lesson for us here with John's life, and it's this. Number two, in your walk of faith, major league maturity is not a ticket for retirement. That may hurt a little bit. Just because you may be mature in your faith does not give you a license to retire from your faith. You know what, I want to applaud all of you in this room. We had the first service, and it was mainly senior adults and talking to them. And I just want to applaud many of you in this room who, in the middle of, of your, your, your later part in life, you are serving and you're being faithful and you're running faster than you ever have with the Lord. And I just want to applaud you and thank you for that. But the reality is that in our American culture, we love retirement. We love it. We think that this is just something that we, we deserve and was something we, sh we should naturally do. And then you know what? That, those things are great. But retirement has not always been a thing in culture. In fact, retirement is only about 132 years old in our modern culture. It was started in 1889. The Germans started it. There's a lot of different reasons why they started it, but it passed on over here in the United States, and it's become a big part of who we are. But somehow... We have transferred this, this thought of retiring from your career, and we kind of equated that with our spiritual lives. So you know what? As long as I put in my time in the youth ministry, you know, as long as I put in my time on these committees, as long as I put in my time 
in the nursery, then someday I can retire and not have to do that anymore. Let someone else do that. And that is completely foreign in God's word. But it's something we do. And I was thinking about, you know, when, when I started out in youth ministry a long time ago, um, when I, we moved to this church and I inherited these, this great group of parents. And they were awesome. They were incredible. And I was like, man, life is going to be great. This is going to be easy. And they were, they, were, uh, they were youth ministry workers, and they'd been doing this for a long time. And, and as soon as I got there, for the first month, it was, it was awesome. And then they all kind of came to me, one after another, and said, hey, um, we're going to take a break. <laughs> and now that you're here, we're going to take a break, and, you know, we're just burned out. We don't want to do this anymore. And their kids had, had gone through the youth ministry, and they were graduated. So they were it's like, you know, is there time to, to pass the baton to someone else? And so, and so we, we called it a retirement, and we, we celebrated their retirement. And uh, all six of these couples, they, they went off to do something else. And you know what? Looking back on that, I realized something, something that was really, really sad. Of all six of those couples, only two of them stayed active in their faith. Only two couples did. The other four, who were great Sunday school teachers, they were youth camp counselors. They had invested year after year in these teenagers. When they stopped serving, they left the church. They retired from their faith. And it's not something that's just unique with that church. It's, it's, it's something that, as Americans, we are dealing with. It's a, it's a pandemic, so to speak, in the American church. And it's something that we, it affects our church as well. And it starts by saying some things like this, like, you know, the church has changed too much. Or I just, don't know, I just don't know all the people here at Central anymore. Or, you know, I'm just too old. Or this is the biggest one, like say, thinking I, I can't be used anymore. Like your time has passed and your influence has passed. Let me just tell you that, that's a lie. That's false. And you know what, it's just, it's just devastating to the church because... The Bible is really clear that you're not allowed, you're not given the right to retire from your faith. And you want to know how we know this? Look at John. Look at his life. Let's look at it. I'll put it up on the screen right there. During his college years, John is one of the disciples of Jesus, okay? Then from his 20s to his 60s. For 40 years, he is one of the pastors of the first church, the Jerusalem church, the mother church, okay? He is one of the pastors of this very first church. And then when he was in his, sometime in his 60s, something devastating happened in history. And the Romans got fed up with the Jews. And in 70 AD, they went in and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They rounded up a a ton of Christians and they killed them. They destroyed the church, and a lot of people had to flee. And one of those people that had to flee was was John. And he fled, and he took off, and he went to Ephesus in Asia Minor. And when he was in Ephesus, he served as the pastor for about 20 years. As the pastor of this megachurch, okay? It was the biggest church in the region, the most influential church in this area. And then when he was 80 years old, he writes the Gospel of John. At 85, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these short letters to the church. Right after that, he gets exiled to the island of Patmos. He's in prison. It's a labor camp. He's working in the mines at 80. Can you believe that? He's working hard. And he, he gets revelation right from, from Jesus. And he writes the book of Revelation. He gets released and you would think of anybody, 
it's time to retire. You know what I mean? Like you have put in the work. But no, instead, John, he goes back to Ephesus, continues to pastor the people. And then he takes two guys under his wing and he begins to mentor them to be the next generation of leaders. Polycarp and Ignatius. If you know anything about church history, these are, these are mega church leaders of the faith. He began to mentor them and train them until his death. So senior adults in this room, those of you who consider yourself mature in the faith, you've been serving Jesus for years. Here's what the church needs from you. If you want to be a big influencer, do this. Be a John to us. Be a John to us. We need more Johns in this church. And here's the way you can do that, a couple ways. Number one, make your life all about sharing the truth. Because that's what John did. Out of all the people, all the writers of the, the Bible, especially the New Testament, besides Jesus, who was the greatest at this, John was the, the one who talked about truth the most. He loved truth. Gospel of John is all about truth. His letters are all about truth. Revelation is all about future truth and prophecy, right? He loved truth. And he loved to correct people when they had kind of veered or drifted from the truth. Just like, like a fisherman would, you know? If, if, a, if a boat drifted off, what do you do? You grab the rudder and you fix it. You correct and get back on course. And that's what John did consistently over time with, in his old, older years with the church. And here's what he says in John, sorry, 3 John 4. No chapters in, in the third book, okay? The third letter, just verse four. Here's what he says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He said that was his greatest joy. Because over his life, he had, he had told people about the truth. And then he saw people drifting from the truth. He said, you know what? I have no greater joy than they walk in truth. And, and he spent his life correcting people and, and pushing people towards the truth. And we need that in this church. We need people, you know, say, you know what? I can't go to youth camp. I, I, honestly, I just can't do it. I'm applauding all the workers that are going to do that next week. I'm praying for you. You know, maybe you get some sleep and you don't roll an ankle and all that kind of stuff. And don't get a sunburn, you know. But I just can't do that right now. But you know what you can do? You can help be a rudder for our church. Of correcting us. Or maybe we're drifting one way. That the way we do ministry is consistently always going to change. Jesus, he is changing everything in our culture. He is changing everything in this church. There's going to be a lot of different things that we are going to be doing to try to reach people in the future, and we're doing that right now. Our methods are going to continually change. We know what never changes? The gospel never changes. The truth never changes, and we need people in our church that says, you know what? This is the way we're going. That love the word of God. That know the Bible in and out. We always kind of, uh, you know, rib the, the senior adults because they love doing Bible studies. They love Bible studies like six times a week. Let's have another Bible study. We love Bible studies. And I applaud and that's great. That is awesome. So you know, you know who knows the truth better than anybody? Senior adults, right? They know the truth and they shouldn't just hold it in. And those of you who are mature in your faith and you have a deep personal relationship with Jesus, you should not hold that in. You should be helping other people. Help us younger people. I guess I'm young. I don't know. I'm 38. I'm I'm old, super old to my kids, but maybe I'm young to some of you guys. But we need help. We need help to know the truth. You can be a John to us by, by, by pointing us in that direction. Here's another thing you can do. You can realize that your greatest impact may, may, may not yet have happened. 
A lot of you look back at your teenage years, your, your young years, when you were raising kids, you go, that was my greatest impact, and now I'm just coasting. But the reality is, we need some people that are like John in this church and realize that, you know what? My best years might be when I'm 70 and 80. Maybe my golden years are the, my best years. Right? I can leave the biggest legacy behind and do the, the most for the kingdom that I've, that I've always wanted to do in my life. Because a lot of you, when you're that age, you have a great treasure that God has given you. And that treasure may be maturity, maybe wisdom, maybe experience, spiritual maturity. You got a great amount of time that you can do some things. And honestly, you may literally have some treasure, okay, that you're able to give like you've never given before. There are people in this room that God is calling you to make a big impact in your last years. And I pray that for, for myself, that when I'm, when I'm old, my hair is gray. I'm not going to have any gray hair, okay? I, just, when I still don't have any hair. Maybe my beard's gray. We'll see that. I, you know, I found some couple of gray hairs the other day. I was like, Holly, oh, no. <laughs> I got some gray hairs, okay? It's coming, okay? But I pray that in my last years that I'll say, you know what? I just want to run hard towards Jesus. I want to leave the biggest impact that I can leave because I want to be like John. And that's what he did. So here, here's, here's how I want to like to close. For you young people in this room, literally young, spiritually young, here's my encouragement to you. Be coachable. All you guys going to youth camp here in just a little bit, VBS later, kids camp later in the summer, be coachable. Be willing to, to get under someone's wing, under their shadow, like a small tree wanting to grow big, but you know that you're not there yet, be coachable and make the decision to walk consistently with Jesus over your life. And here's what will happen. I promise you this. You'll have an incredible impact in the kingdom of God. And your influence will go for generations after generations because of your willing to walk with Jesus. Be coachable. Be humble, be coachable. We all need that. We always need to be like that. And for you older people in this room, whether you physically are old or spiritually mature, don't ever hang up your cleats. That's the natural tendency to say, you know what? I'm retired. It's time to just live life. And God is saying, no, I've given you this, these last 10 years, these last 20 years, this last one year. Just run hard and just, just pour yourself out completely for me. And I pray that we have an entire church, people who are pouring themselves out for Jesus making an impact in our community and far beyond. Because we said, you know what? My life is not about myself. It is about Jesus. You know, John, when he, when he finally died, he didn't die on the spiritual golf course. He didn't. He died doing ministry. And that's what we need to be. Continually serving, continually finding places where we can help and do God's work. God is calling all of us, wherever we are, to be like John. What a great man, lived a long and incredible life, but he realized that it's a life of learning and a life of impact, and we need to be the same as him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work within you will continue it. So the day of Jesus Christ. I pray that over our church. I pray that for our people. God, that you will not quit on us. And I know you won't. God, I pray that we won't quit on you. 
that we would be men and women of faith, whether we are young or old, that are willing to be coachable. God, that are willing to, to never quit. Even though we, we physically and, and career-wise may literally be retired, God, we would never retire from our faith, that we would be people of impact, that we'd be like John. What a, what a great man of God. We thank you for him. We thank you, Jesus, that you called him as a teenager to be one of your disciples. We thank you that you, you taught him and you molded him and shaped him to change the world. And God, you can do the same thing to us if we would just be willing to walk consistently with you over the course of our lives. Help us to follow you. Help us to love your word. Help us to be willing to pour ourselves out. That this life, this one shot that we all have, God, this life would not be about ourselves, but instead would be all about you and for your glory and on our deathbed and at our funerals that we would that people would, they would talk about us and it would always be pointing to Jesus. And we poured ourselves out in your service and for your glory, God. That's what you created us to do. Just God, don't let us fall into this trap of spiritual retirement. Don't let us, God, fall into this trap of thinking we know it all when we don't have that maturity yet. And help us God, in our faith. Change us, God. Convict us from the life of John, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.